Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christogenia Saturdays. Here we are once again to conclude our presentation of the phony No Satan Dogma with Clifton Allenheiser. The series was written by Clifton back in 2012 to address certain identity Christians who denied the existence of a personal Satan or a Satanic entity. Now, we do not accept the medieval Roman Catholic concept of Satan as a supernatural entity in heaven or on earth who directly targets individuals and who is responsible for all of the evil in their lives and in the world itself. That is not the Satan we believe in. That concept of Satan belongs in the comic books and the Jewish Hollywood movies. However, there is a Satan, a satanic entity, and once we establish that fact, only then can we determine the true nature of that Satan. Here, Clifton's series has examined multiple aspects of scripture and language in order to establish that fact, and only the most obstinate could deny it. It just dawned on me that I should have introduced the program a little more thoroughly. This is Christiania Saturdays. It is February 24th, 2018. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. Here once again, we have Clifton Emmerheiser here to present his essay with us. Hello, Clifton. Yeah, uh, thank you. Thank you. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing pretty good this evening. How are you getting on? In, in in sunny Florida. It's fine. Summer's here already, and it's February. You've been sitting out on a porch a couple afternoons. You couldn't do that in Ohio. Right. <laughs> you sound excited about it. And I haven't seen much <laughs> snow for a while. Yeah, well, you won't see any snow for a long time here. I don't know. I can't guarantee you won't see any snow, but we haven't seen any yet. Last week in Part 4 of the series, we spoke a great deal about the Satan of Job. Perhaps right now we can discuss briefly why Yahshua referred to Peter as a Satan and to Judas as a devil. And, and I think it's important to, to understand that because Satan isn't only an entity, but the word Satan is also an adjective, right? Right. And, and sometimes it's actually used in scripture as an adjective and not to describe a particular entity as a title or a personal name. Right. So, so Peter had, had um, responded to Christ in a very adversarial manner when Christ explained to him what the will of God was for himself that he was to, to be slain and ro rise in the third day, right? And, and Peter thought he was nuts, and he said, no, that's not going to happen. So going a, contrary to the will of God, Peter was acting as a Satan. I think Christ told him to get behind him, Satan, right? Get behind me, Satan, meaning that as long as you're going to oppose the will of God, you've got to be my adversary. That's what I believe Jesus is telling him. That's what Yahshua is telling him. Because Peter expressed a desire contrary to what he, contrary to what Christ himself said that the will of God was, 
Peter opposed that, so he makes himself a Satan. He acts like a Satan. But that doesn't mean that he's that specific satanic entity yeah, that we right. know is Satan. So sometimes the word's just used as an adjective. But Judas was a devil, and what did Judas do? At the time that Christ called Judas a devil, Judas hadn't done anything. Right. There's nothing that we could find in Scripture that Judas did wrong up until the point that Christ called him a devil. I think he said one of you is a devil. Well, well right, and the Apostle John explained that he was speaking of Judas. Mm -hmm. But Judas hadn't really been accused of any wrongdoing, and he was called a devil. And it can only be because he, he wasn't from Galilee. He was from Ishkeriot. He was a man of Keriot in, in southern Judah, in a, near the land of Edom. It seems to me that Judas was one of those Edomites that was converted. And that's why he was a devil. Mm -hmm. There's no other explanation. Nobody can open the Bible and, and, and show us what... Ju Maybe they could claim that Christ had foreknowledge of what Judas would do wrong. But Judas hadn't done anything wrong up to that point that was mentioned in Scripture. And he was a devil. And all men sin, but that didn't make the other 11 apostles devils. Mm -hmm. He said, I've chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil. <laughs> we also spoke of the power of Yahweh to turn entire nations over to Satan. And with ancient Persia as an example, that was your example in your original essay, we explained how that worked. World domination, international cooperation, and global trade, that they're all hallmarks of Satan, for which the children of Israel were condemned in the prophets. They were condemned for dealing in trade with the other nations. They were supposed to be a separate people and a holy nation and never a multinational empire. So for that, they were punished and they were subjected to a series of pagan multinational empires. These empires, we explained from Revelation chapter 13, are empowered by the dragon, the enemies of our God who are also the princes of this world, and collectively they are Satan. Back then it was Nineveh, Ecbatana, Susa, and Babylon, and today it's Berlin, Paris, Rome, London, and New York. Anyone who can't read just an outline of history and imagine who Satan really is must be blind. <laughs> they must be blind or perhaps a Satan themselves. Clifton had... Clifton has written only a relative few standalone essays. How many one-part essays do you think you've written? I don't know. Not many, right? Most of his work was done in serial format. So it is with these papers on the No Satan Doctrine, which was originally done in six parts. Now, we have presented five of those parts with moderate redaction, and, and here we shall ask Clifton to introduce part six. In my, in my possession, I have two small pamphlets, one entitled Satan Dispelled by Calamos, whoever that is, and the other, uh, The Bible uh, Devil and Satan Defined, 
which was also anonymous. The first was republished from a publication entitled Lucifer Scrutinized, Satan Dispelled by Christian Research in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. It was distributed by America's Promise, which was Sheldon Emery's ministry in Arizona. Now it belongs to Dave Barley and has been moved to Idaho. The latter booklet is also distributed by them and also Colonel John R. Uh, or Dick Nemala retired uh, in Reston, Virginia. The whole assumption of the No Devil Doctrine is based on the conjecture that the flesh is the devil. To show you this, I will quote excerpts from the Bible and Satan define on pages 2, 10, 11, 12, 17, and 18. And, and, and maybe before we get to these citations, we should discuss some of the people you just mentioned. Sheldon Emery was a fairly prominent Christian identity teacher and, and pastor until his death in 1985. But he denied to see line, even while he seemed to reject universalism. Do you know anything about Sheldon Emery's ministry? Were you, um, were you ever influenced by his work so far as you remember? About the only thing I used him for is getting material. I didn't really support him that I can remember in any way. So what did you do? Buy materials that he resold? Yeah. That were written by somebody else, I gather. The, the, uh, the banker, billions for the dollar, uh, bankers and, and something for. Yeah, bill, billions for the bankers. That's probably. Debt his, for the people. Yeah, that's probably his most famous track. That's his most popular track, yeah. I think. Because it has appeal outside of Christian, outside of Christian identity. So I bought a few of those flyers to hand out to people. Well, well, America's Promise still has one of these flyers, one of these booklets in their online category. And I'm sorry, in their online catalog. I checked it today as I prepared for this program. I went to America's Promise website to see if they were still peddling this crap. And, and they still have this, this one catalog under the title, The Bible, Satan, and Devil Defined. They reversed the, the, I don't know if the title changed. I guess it did. Or perhaps you just transposed it with the opposite way. I don't know, right? I got to look for the I'm pamphlet. I'm generally kind of careful not to do that. Right, right. I understand that. You are. But that they're selling it now on their website. Maybe they got it wrong on their website. The Bible, Satan, and Devil Defined, they still have it to this day. They're still selling this trash to this day. So they are fully deserving of any criticism we can offer. <laughs> the other booklet you mentioned, Satan Dispelled, I didn't find it on, on the Sheldon Emery Library website or on Israel Elect. I don't know if it's there, but I, I looked. I gave it a precursory examination and didn't find it. But it is still available on the Internet Archive. Somebody posted it there. That's just a general archive site that archives everything that people want to archive there. And, and they'll keep a copy of it. 
and it's run by it's run by Satan also. <laughs> now I digress, so I will present your quotations from the Bible, devil, and Satan defined, and, and this is what they say. But once it is recognized that the devil relates to sin, and that sin comes from within, it will be acknowledged that the atoning blood of Jesus is a powerful weapon to defeat and destroy it. It defeats the power of sin by providing the means of forgiveness. It conquers death through the promise of a resurrection to life eternal. Though the devil basically relates to human nature or the lusts of the flesh, it is manifested in various forms. The devil against which he warned them constituted the pagan, social, and political world which was ruled by the flesh. They were men of flesh being dominated by its lusts and therefore the progeny of the devil. We have shown that the devil relates to the sinful tendencies of the flesh. Immortal life in the kingdom of God to be set up on earth is the hope set before us. To attain unto it, we must conquer the devil or sin in the flesh. According to this supposition, simply look into the mirror and you are looking at a devil. I'll bet you didn't know that, did you? Neither neither did I. No, I didn't know that. I have never heard such a thing, and I've never seen such a thing in Scripture. It, it, it cannot be said that you were exaggerating your claims about what these supposed CI teachers or pastors believe, because we've just seen it all right there in, in those couple of quotations from a booklet that they're still selling online. And these people claim to be identity Christians. It is true that the world is run by devils in the flesh, but the flesh is not the devil, and the devil is not merely the flesh. There are definitely two different entities. Christ came in the flesh, but that doesn't make the, the flesh Christ. Yeah, they don't. It's pretty serious what they're, what they're animating, you know? Right. It's very serious. You might want to read your reaction to this um, <clears throat> Satan Dispelled. Evidently, Satan Dispelled by Calamos is nothing more than an expanded tra tra treatise uh, from the uh, Bible Devil and Satan Defined. We are not informed whether Calamos is a name, pseudonym, or some kind of secret code, uh, cloak and dagger, a clandestine code known only to the author uh, of his cronies. The only names which seem to be associated with Satan dispelled are uh, Nicholas Weens, Mrs. Alfreda Freiberg, and John H. Frisk, Sheldon Emery and Gerda Cook, and the date was 1980. Reportedly, in later years, Gerda Cook confessed she was not familiar with 2C line, and she must look into to the matter, but died before she ever got a chance. A little detective work may reveal how the No Devil Doctrine 
came into the identity message. Here you wrote that the following is evidently Goethe Koch's words found under a publisher's comment in Satan Dispelled. <laughs> and, and there, that, that was actually a pretty long publisher's comment. There it says, it was my privilege for about 15 years to occasionally meet at Mrs. Alfreda Feibiger's home with Mr. Wines in Minnesota. Now, this Mr. Wines is the gentleman who wrote the introduction to Satan Dispelled by Calamus, right? And many and spend many an enlightening and delightful hour in Bible study. The Bible is an inexhaustible fount, as God himself is inexhaustible in his essence. Did you ever notice that people pushing a false agenda always use flowery language like that? It, it always seems to me to be the case. In one of these studies, Mr. Wines and Mrs. Feiberger, or Feibiger, approached me with the subject of Satan. I completely rejected the idea of there not being a personal Satan as unscriptural and unsound. On this occasion, they gave me John H. Fisk Jr.'s, who was the tempter of the human race. Now, now that's a big mistake right there, just to imagine that there's a human race. Which I must confess, I never read until a year or so ago when Pastor Sheldon Emery of Phoenix, Arizona sent us a reprint of the same booklet. So evidently Fisk, Shem, Sheldon Emery got it from this Fisk guy, possibly. After reading the booklet and listening to a number of Pastor Emery's tapes, I became really interested. I wrote my friends in Minnesota that now I was not only willing but anxious to study the subject with them. I wish to thank Mr. Wines again and Mrs. Feibiger for their dedicated service and Shel Pastor Sheldon Emery for his help in editing our additions. So she's basically admitting right there that she is Calamos or, or that this trio of three people, two women and a man, that they together are Calamos. Because it, it's evident that Satan Dispelled is really only this John H. Fisk's Jr.'s original booklet and their editions that Sheldon Emery edited. So it's a conspiracy. <laughs> you might want to read what you went on to say about, about Mrs. Gerda Koch. So wittingly or unwittingly, Gerda Koch, by giving assistance to Sheldon Emery and company on the, uh, the No Devil Doctrine, became an accessory after the fact. Dan Gentry, after commandeering uh, Gerda Cook's publication, has gone gung-ho peddling these uh, two... Uh, Despicable, untrue doctrines. But there's another clown in Oklahoma, I think. His name is Nathan Ashley. And Nathan Ashley esteems that Gerda Koch was a prophetess. <laughs> in the line with the Old Testament prophets. And, and he attempts to distribute everything that he could find that she wrote. And, and she, he esteems her as a prophet. It's incredible the way these people can worship personalities and not care about scripture. Those words 
And the publisher's comment were accredited to Goethe Koch in the Satan Dispelled booklet. The booklet also has a short introduction by Nicholas Wines, or Weens. They both fawned all over this booklet as if it was some great and irrefutable discovery and some wonderful new truth. And they both talked about this writer, this Calamos, in those same very glowing terms in their introduction and in her publisher's comment. And the truth is that she basically admitted being Calamos, that they took Fisk's paper and they made additions to it. Mm -hmm. And they published it under this name Calamos, so they're really just extolling themselves. They're patting themselves on the back. We had surmised earlier that perhaps Goethe Koch introduced this idea to Sheldon Emery earlier in the series. However, from this, it seems to be the other way around that the, 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 um, the idea was introduced to Emery and to Goethe Koch from, from this John Fisk. And, and they both took this ball and ran with it and, and they ran with it together. Mm-hmm. Now you quote some excerpts from the booklet, Satan Dispelled, on pages 3, 5, 7, and 25, which I'm going to read, and, 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 and then we'll make some comments on it. It says, all of these foregoing statements stress the fact, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that it is man's reprobate heart and mind and his unregenerate flesh which constitute the prime enemy against God. That is to say, his spiritual-mindedness and his flesh were opposed. Now, it's true that man's spiritual-mindedness and his flesh are opposed. Yeah, but Christ took on the same flesh, so that would make Christ... Uh... Right, that would make Christ opposed, opposed to himself, yeah. and it just isn't so. Because even Paul of Tarsus teaches very clearly throughout his epistles that man can overcome the desires of the flesh and put away the desires of the flesh and walk in the spirit. And even when man does that, there's still a Satan. (laughs) There's still a Satan. (laughs) So Satan must be some other entity. And the scripture shows that clearly. These people are taking certain scriptures out of context. She goes on, or, or Calamos goes on to say, but the spirit in him returned the answer. It is written again. I'm sorry, I'm missing a line here. She goes on to say the accuser was, in Jesus' case, as it ever had been right from the beginning, the human flesh. She's saying that the accuser was the human flesh. She's saying that the, the accuser, the diabolos, the devil, that Christ contended with in the desert was his own flesh. Bullshit. That's what she's saying here. That is bullshit, right. Then she says, but the spirit in him returned the answer. So Christ's flesh is talking to or disputing with Christ's spirit, right? That's what she's saying here. It is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Thus reasoning with his own flesh out of the sacred scriptures. That's her contention. It's ridiculous. And and we'll get to that. Then she, in, in chapter nine, says the prince or ruler of this world. Citing John 12.31, John 14.30, and John 16.11. 
and she claims these three texts record statements made by our Lord before his death and refer to the prince of this world, the Greek archon or ruler. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Well, I don't think the flesh was cast out. The prince of this world cometh and has nothing in me. He, the comforter, will reprove the world of judgment, citing John 16, verses 8 and 11. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Our Lord Jesus Christ was in all three sentences referring to death as the prince or ruler of this world. I remember you sending me this booklet, and I am pretty certain that I was still in prison when I read it, and it actually angered me that anyone in Christian identity would fall for this trash. Here they assert that Christ was talking to his own flesh in the wilderness for 40 days, when in fact, the text says explicitly that the devil departed from him for a season. What do they do with that? What that's about saying, that's saying his flesh departed him from? Yeah, his season. flesh departed from him for a season. <laughs> I think you answered that in the same manner somewhere else in this material. What do they do when where Christ said that the prince of this world comes and has nothing to do with me? The flesh comes and has nothing to do with me is a ridiculous supposition. Maybe you want to present your own response to this. <clears throat> by, only, by quoting only excerpts from this booklet, you may be uh, uh, confused as to who... Uh, as to who... As to what? You may be confused as to what is it saying. Uh, so I will explain. To begin... The author is attempting to establish the false premise that the flesh is the devil. Then he tries to show a war between uh, what he calls spiritual mad, uh, uh, mindedness and the flesh. After that, he endeavors to show that even with Jesus in his temptation, the devil was only his flesh. To demonstrate just how uh, unscriptural this flawed premise is, let's take into consideration Job 19.26, which says, And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Are we to believe that Job's flesh is the devil? If that is true, then when are we... Uh, when we are resurrected at Joshua's second advent, all of us, all of us in devil flesh, uh, resurrected bodies will meet our Savior in his devil flesh body for scripture, uh, for scripture proclaims that when we see him, we shall be like him. First John, uh, three, two. This is pure blasphemy. Uh, question. If the flesh were the devil, why would it be resurrected? If we contemplate Luke 24, 39, 
we get another message. Behold my hands and my feet, and that it is myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Joshua is speaking of his resurrected body. Therefore, the no devil people are actually accusing the Savior of being the devil. I would suggest that all of you who have been buying the no devil people's garbage expeditiously consider the, uh, the, that position. If the flesh is so evil as the no devil people claim, why does Luke uh, uh, 3, 6 say, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God? Uh, are we to believe that there is no salvation for the devil? How absurd. I think one of the clearest places to, to see um, that the flesh is not the devil is where Paul of Tarsus says, and, and you brought it up throughout the series several times, where Paul of Tarsus says that we wrestle not against flesh, that we contend not against flesh, but against spiritual wickedness in high places. So if we contend with spiritual wickedness in high places and not against flesh, then that spiritual wickedness in high places must be something other than flesh. Right. In further response to this, you go on and, and you say that Acts 26.18 speaks of opening the eyes of the true white Israelites and how Messiah will rescue them from the power of darkness. Well, their eyes are part of their flesh, aren't they? <laughs> their eyelids certainly are. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by the faith that is in me. Then you quote 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul wrote, In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. So he blinded all of those Israelites that believe not. The enemies of God did that by dragging them off into that ancient Baal worship and, and Moloch worship and all those other pagan beliefs in ancient times. That's how the God of this world blinded them. And Christ came for those same people, those same children of Israel, to open their eyes because Satan blinded them. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And again you quote Colossians 1.13, where it says, speaking where Paul is speaking of Christ, who has delivered us from the power of darkness, that same darkness in Acts chapter 26, and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And finally, you quote 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. And we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. You can see then that the whole hypothesis of the no devil doctrine people rest on the theory that the only war we have is between the spirit and the flesh. Yes, there is a struggle between the spirit and flesh, but we should consider uh, 
what Ephesians 6, 12 says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual uh, spiritual wickedness. Uh, what's that word there? I have a typo there. Spiritual wickedness. Uh, wickedness in high places. Uh, no devil people uh, forgot to read this, that verse. This passage describes very clearly just what we wrestle hand-to-hand -hand combat against and what we don't wrestle against. It should be obvious that there are two fronts we are fighting in this war, not just one. Well, well Paul explained in, in, um, in Romans chapter 6 and 7 and, and in 1 Corinthians that the Adamic man has two natures, a fleshly nature and a spiritual nature. That all of the beasts of the world have two nature have, have the fleshly nature. Only the Adamic man has the spiritual nature. Other bipeds, other so-called people don't have that spiritual, spiritual nature. When we follow them, like the children of Israel followed the Canaanites in, in the ancient kingdom, they devolve to the fleshly nature and follow after the fleshly nature and sin. But when we follow Yahweh, we can attain and keep his commandments. We can follow our spiritual nature and put away the flesh. When we follow our spiritual nature, we are useful to our God in the fight against Satan, in the fight against these supposed people who are the real serpents and demons and devils. <laughs> when we're following after the flesh, we're useless to our God and we're no good in that fight. We're just like the enemy. We can be Satan in that respect. But when we're keeping the commandments and following Christ, we aren't the devil. We are not the adversary. Those people who can't follow Christ, those people who who, who were, I, I think the apostles called them natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, and called them wicked men who from of old were destined to damnation. They were twice dead, clouds without water. They're the devil. There's a devil in scripture that the, this Gerda Koch and Sheldon Emery are just refusing to see. I don't know if it's because they didn't want to believe that the scripture had a racial message to it, that you were of the born from above or, or you were yet you were a bastard. I, I don't understand why they refused to see this. But they only carefully picked and chose select verses to prove this, that this harebrained theory, which actually causes us a lot of trouble. Denying that there's a real devil. Yeah, that material is still floating. Mean, probably Dave Barley is still selling it. He is still selling it. Dave Barley is still selling it. He's still selling this on his website. Well, you know, there's a scripture, he that gathereth not scattereth. And I would say uh, Barley's a scatterer. Oh, Barley's absolutely a scatterer. Yeah, you know, um, 
Dave Barley recently, when Donald Trump was running for president, Dave Barley made several videos. I got a copy of a couple of them. He made several sermons announcing that Donald Trump was Cyrus of modern times. And that Donald Trump was going to lead, that Donald Trump being Cyrus was going to restore us from captivity. That's what Cyrus did to the people of Judah. He gave them the, the opportunity to return from captivity. So Dave Barley is putting Donald Trump on, on that level where Yahweh called Cyrus a man of gold in Isaiah, I think it's chapter 41 or 42. Dave Barley anointed Donald Trump to be in that same category. Hmm. And, and some people in Christian identity went along with that. They bought into that. I could name names, but I won't. But they should be embarrassed. Here you, you, you go into um, some of this language that they, they address again. We, we get into some of the Greek language, but it, it doesn't, you don't really dwell there. From the book, A Greek-English Lexicon of the New Testament and Other Early Christian Literature by Walter Bauer and Frederick Danker on page 446. This world is ruled by the Archon to Cosmo Tautu. That's the prince of this world. The devil, citing John chapter 12, chapter 16, and without the Tautu, without this, the prince of the world, in John 14.30. Also, Ho Cosmos Holos and Toponero Kaitahi. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. To this you respond, to this citation from, from this Greek definition. And these are the verses that Goethe Koch was citing. To this you respond, as can be clearly seen, the entire no-devil doctrine stands or falls on the interpretation of John 16, 11. And as you have lucidly observed with scripture, it fell flat on its face. We are now going to refer to Nave's Topical Bible by Orville J. Nave, an unbiased source, to study this. With this article, we will, search, we will key in on the word Satan. I believe you will be amazed at how well Nave covered the subject. I will not quote all of these passages here, but it is obvious the subject of Satan is much more extensive than the no Satan people claim. You will need to look up and study every Bible passage mentioned here, and then you can decide whether or not there is a devil. And he gives a long list here. You give a, you reproduce a long list here of, of various um, names and titles that relate to the satanic entity. And in the list are Abaddon in Revelation 9-11. The accuser of our brethren in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. The simple word adversary in 1 Peter 5, 8. The adversary walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I don't think the apostles were trying to convert that adversary. The angel of the bottomless pit in Revelation 9, 11. 
Apollyon in Revelation 9-11. That's related to the earlier mentioned Abaddon. Beelzebub, or the dung god, or the lord of the flies, if it's Beelzebul or Beelzebub, right? In Matthew 12-24, in Mark 3-22, and Luke 11-15. Belial in 2 Corinthians 6-15. The devil in Matthew 4, Luke 4, Revelation 20. The enemy in Matthew chapter 13. The father of lies in John 8.44. The great red dragon of Revelation chapter 12. The liar and murderer of John 8.44. The old serpent of Revelation chapters 12 and 20. The power of darkness in Colossians chapter 1. The prince of this world in John chapters 12, 14, and 16. The prince of devils in Matthew 12.24. The prince of the power of the air in Ephesians chapter 2. The rulers of darkness of this world in Ephesians chapter 6. Satan in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, Job chapter 1, John chapter 13, Acts chapters 5 and 26, Roman chapter 16. The serpent in Genesis chapters 3, chapter 3 and in 2 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The spirit that works in the children of disobedience in Ephesians chapter 2. The tempter in Matthew chapter 4 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. The god of this world in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. An unclean spirit in Matthew chapter 12. The wicked one in Matthew chapter 13. Who has his own kingdom, which is to be destroyed in 2 Samuel chapter 23 in the context of Matthew chapters 12 and 13, and Luke chapter 11, and 1 John chapter 3, and then the synagogue of Satan in Revelation chapters 2, 9, and 3, 9. Studying those passages, you should definitely get the idea that there is a tangible um, hominid entity, I say hominid entity, a, a walking on two legs entity, which is satanic, which is called Satan collectively, which is here on this earth, which is in flesh, but that doesn't make all flesh Satan. These passages only represent a fraction of the scripture which could be quoted debunking the no devil theory. The claim uh, all, to claim all these passages apply to the flesh is absurd, yet this is what they would have us believe. When did the flesh ever become a synagogue? They will uh, clamor, it's the flesh. It's the flesh. That is until they get to 2 Corinthians 11.3 where they will uh, scream, it's mental, it's mental. Uh, why the sudden change? Why don't they make up their mind? They can't correlate the idea that Satan is the flesh with Second Corinthians chapter 11. Habitually, the no-Satan advocates with, will claim it's simple, making a case that hardly ever is the subject of Satan mentioned in the Old Testament. This only exposes their appalling ignorance of the Bible. Uh, notice that the word 
ignorance is uh, derived from the word ignore, and that is what they do. Right. Peter spoke of people who were willing ignorant at Second Peter 3, 5. Evidently, they never read Romans 16, 25, where Paul says, now to him that is... Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Yahshua Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. Again at Matthew 13.35 we find that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which were, have been kept secret since the foundation of the world. See also Colossians 1.26. Well, well, let's look at Colossians 1.26. It'll only take me a, a, a second to get there. Even the mystery which has been hid from the ages and from the generations, but is now made manifest to his saints. So the mystery that was hid from the, from the ages and from the generations has to be made manifest in the gospel. It has to be discovered in the gospel. So we see that Paul of Tarsus speaks of things which were kept secret since the world began, but which are now revealed in the gospel of Christ. In this we have a, a second and a third witness and a confirmation of the words of Christ where he said, as you pointed out, in Matthew chapter 13, that I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. And when Christ said that, he was explaining that Satan planted the tares, that the devil planted the tares, that there are people here on earth that are not from God. There's weak people and terror people. And the terror people were planted by the devil. Now, they're all flesh. Every one of them is flesh. Yeah. They're not all necessarily the same flesh, but they're all flesh. So why are they divided into weak people and terror people? And the devil planted the terror people at the beginning. Not throughout all time, but at the beginning. Now you go on to cite another source for further evidence. And, and before I mention that, before I get into that, you cited Romans 16.25 here. And you've cited Romans 16.20 in the series before. Paul said to the Romans who are in the flesh that Yahweh would crush Satan under your feet shortly. So were the Romans going to stomp on each other? Or were they going to stomp on themselves? <laughs> or is it truer that they were going to go crush the Edomite Jew bastards in Jerusalem? Right. That's that's <laughs> that's, the, that's what he was saying. <laughs> now you go on to cite another source for further evidence. And, and this is what you write. You write, from the Anti-Nicene Fathers, ante meaning before, the Council of Nicaea, the Anti-Nicene Fathers. Volume 1, Book 5, Chapter 26, we read, 
truly has Justin remarked, and this is a this is a reference to Justin Martyr. Justin Martyr was a mid second century Christian apologist, meaning a defender of Christianity. He was a writer and 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 clergyman, I guess I should call him a clergyman. Truly has Justin remarked that before the Lord's appearance, Satan never dared to blaspheme God. And and where it says before the Lord's appearance, of course, they're speaking of Christ, right? Satan never dared to blaspheme God in as much as, and that would be Yahweh's appearance, as you have in parentheses, because Christ is Yahweh. Satan never dared to blaspheme God in as much as he did not yet know his own sentence, because it was contained in parables and allegories. But after the Lord's appearance, when he had clearly ascertained from the words of Christ and his apostles that eternal fire has been prepared for him as he apostatized from God of his own free will, and likewise for all unrepentant who continued in the the apostasy, he now blasphemes by means of such men, the Lord who brings judgment upon him as being already condemned and imputes the guilt of his apostasy to his maker, not to his own voluntary disposition. Just as it is when those who break the laws, when punishment overtakes them, they throw the blame upon those who frame the laws, but not upon themselves. In like manner do those men, filled with a satanic spirit, bring innumerable accusations against our Creator, who has both given to us the spirit of life and established a law adapted for all. And they will not admit that the judgment of God is just. Wherefore also they set about imagining some other father who neither cares about nor exercises a providence over our affairs. Nay, one who even approves of all sins. And here Clifton has a footnote that the Greek text here is preserved by the Greek text of Justin. is preserved by Eusebius in his ecclesiastical history in chapter 4, or book 4, chapter 18. But we are not told from what work of Justin Martyr it is extracted. Now, where Justin Martyr wrote that they set about imagining some other father who neither cares about nor exercises a providence over our affairs, that is the belief of the Sadducees as they were explained by Flavius Josephus. The following, because Clifton cited Justin Martyr to show that there is indeed a devil, the following is an edited excerpt from a podcast which I did a few years ago called Early to Seedline, and and it's basically a couple of passages from Justin Martyr the second century um, defender of Christianity. That's what an apologist really is in the ancient sense, is a defender. The second century defender of Christianity, and he was from Syria, in, in, in um, I believe from Antioch itself. And this is from 
the second apology of Justin. Justin Martyr was a Christian apologist who wrote in the mid-2nd century AD. He was born around 100 AD in Judea, but he was of Roman and or Greek ethnicity. He wasn't a Judean. He wasn't of the circumcision. Some of Justin's writing seems to be universalist. However, that is simply not true once it is examined completely. Not all two-legged creatures were considered to be people by Justin Martyr. <laughs> they weren't considered human, if I have to use the term. They weren't considered to be men. From, from chapter 5 of the second Apology of Justin, how the angels transgressed. But if this idea takes possession of someone, that if we acknowledge God as our helper, we should not, as we say, be oppressed and persecuted by the wicked. This too I will solve. God, when he had made the whole world and subjected things earthly to man and arranged the heavenly elements for the increase of fruits and rotation of the seasons and appointed this divine law, for these things also he evidently made for man, committed the care of men and of all things under heaven to angels whom he appointed over them. But the angels transgressed this appointment and were captivated by love of women and begat children who are those that are called demons. And besides, they afterwards subdued the human race to themselves, partly by magical writings and partly by fears and the punishments they occasioned and partly by teaching them to offer sacrifices and incense and libations, of which things they stood in need after they were enslaved by lustful passions. And among men they sowed murders, wars, adulteries, intemperate deeds, and all wickedness. Whence also the poets and mythologists, not knowing that it was the angels and those demons who had been begotten by them, that did these things to men and women and cities and nations which they related, ascribed them to God himself and to those who were accounted to be his very offspring and to the offspring of those who were called his brother, Neptune and Pluto, and to the children again of these their offspring. For whatever name each of the angels had given to himself and his children, by that name they called them. So he's talking about races of people that didn't come from God, that came from these bastards, these demons, these fallen angels. So we see in Justin's mind, demons are men born among us who were the result of the unions described in Genesis between women and the so-called angels. But there is more to it than that. From the works of Justin Martyr, from the dialogue of Justin, the philosopher and martyr, with Trypho, a Jew, or a Judean, but probably a Jew by this time, from chapter 4, which was entitled, The Soul of Itself Cannot See God. And this is a dialogue, and they're going back and forth, and it opens up. And what do those suffer who are judged to be unworthy of this spectacle, said he, meaning Trypho. And the answer is, they are imprisoned in the bodies of certain wild beasts 
and this is their punishment. I think Justin was probably talking about niggers. <laughs> Do they know then that it is for this reason they are in such forms and that they have committed some sin? And Justin says, I do not think so. And Trifo says, then these reap no advantage from their punishment, as it seems. Moreover, I would say that they are not punished unless they are conscious of the punishment. And the answer is no, indeed. And Trifo says, therefore, souls neither see God nor transmigrate into other bodies, for they would know that they are so punished. And they would be afraid to commit even the most trivial sin afterwards, but that they can perceive that God exists and that righteousness and piety are honorable. I also quite agree with you, said Trifo. And Justin replied, you are right. Souls neither, those souls of those bastards neither see God nor transmigrate into other bodies. So not only are demons people in the minds of Justin Martyr, but evil spirits are locked in the bodies of wild beasts, who are also evidently people. As the apostles Peter and Jude both describe those infiltrators among Christians as natural brute beasts. Peter said they were natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. Further on in the dialogue of Justin with Trypho, from chapter 79, which was titled, He Proves Against Trypho That the Wicked Angels Have Revolted from God. On this, Trypho, who was somewhat angry, but respected the scriptures, as was manifest from his countenance, said to me, The utterances of God are holy, but your expositions are mere contrivances, as is plain from what has been explained by you, e nay, even blasphemies. For you assert that angels sinned and revolted from God. And I, meaning Justin, and I wishing to get him to listen to me, answered in milder tones. And I see arguments just like this on Facebook, even to this day. The same arguments. <laughs> the same exact arguments on Facebook today. And I, wishing to get him to listen to me, answered in milder tones thusly. I admire, sir, this piety of yours, and I pray that you may entertain the same disposition towards him to whom angels are recorded to minister, meaning Christ. As Daniel says, for one like the Son of Man is led to the Ancient of Days, and every kingdom is given to him forever and ever. But that you may know, sir, continued I, that it is not our audacity which has induced us to adopt this exposition, which you reprehend. I shall give you evidence from Isaiah himself, for he affirms that evil angels have dwelt and do dwell in Tanais, in Egypt. These are his words. Woe to the rebellious children. Thus saith the Lord, you have taken counsel, but not through me, and made agreements, but not through my spirit, to add sins to sins. Who have sinned in going down to Egypt, but they have not inquired of me that they may be assisted by Pharaoh and be covered with the shadow of the Egyptians. For the shadow of Pharaoh shall be a disgrace to you and a reproach to those who trust in the Egyptians. For the princes in Tanis are evil angels. In vain will they labor for a people which will not profit them by assistance. 
but will be for a disgrace and a reproach to them. And, and further, Zechariah tells, as you yourself have related, that the devil stood on the right hand of Joshua the priest to resist him. And the Lord said, the Lord who has taken Jerusalem rebuke thee. And again, it is written in Job, as you said, how that the angels came to stand before the Lord and the devil came with them. And we have it recorded by Moses in the beginning of Genesis that the serpent beguiled Eve and was cursed. And we know that in Egypt, there were magicians who emulated the mighty power displayed by God through the faithful servant Moses. And you are aware that David said, the gods of the nations are demons. Justin Martyr clearly believed that there were men who were of the seed of the serpent and dwelt among us. Justin also admitted that the ancient poets did not have enough knowledge of Satan the devil, and demons to write about them accurately. Clifton, this goes well. This goes quite well with your own conclusion on the, past, on, on the passage from his work which you had cited. From this, it should be evident that much of the information concerning Satan had deliberately been withheld until after the first advent of Yahshua Christ. For before that time, the bruising of Christ's he, uh, before the time of the bruising of Christ's heel, as prophesied at Genesis 3.15, had not been accomplished nor could it have been until he, Yahweh, came in the flesh. Not only that, but the time had not yet arrived for Satan to be trodden underfoot, as described at Romans 6, 16.20 by Paul. Uh, the job of bruising the serpent's uh, head, recorded at Genesis 3.15, was delegated to the Israelite Romans. That bruising of Satan's descendants entailed the crucifixion of many thousands of bad faith Jews by the Romans under the command of Titus in 70 AD, as recorded by the historian Josephus. That bruising set the bad faith Jews back a thousand years in their agenda until 1966. I'm sorry, 1066. 1066, yeah, 1066 A.D. when they entered the Israelite England with William the Conqueror uh, with his coin, with their coin. Uh, the, thus is record. Thus is recorded the binding of the strong man, the bad fig Jews for a millennium in the bottomless pit of the ghettos. Therefore, without Satan and without two seed-line doctrine, the prophecy of Genesis 3.15 could not have been historically fulfilled to date. But this is not the end, as the bad fig satanic Jews have another round to go at Revelation 20:10. Now you have 
the answer why much of what we know about Satan is found mainly in the New Testament. And if there are not if there are not two see uh, two seeds in Genesis 3:15, we might as well burn our Bibles or throw them into the trash can. The next reference will be will demonstrate how Satan became a proper name. And and that's my part, and I will present it momentarily. Yeah, you know, you mentioned some in interesting dates here. We're told in Revelation chapter 20 that Satan was going to be bound in the pit for a thousand years and be released. And once Satan was released, he was going to gather all the nations against the camp of the saints. And I actually see three dates for that thousand years. And I see the going into the pit as a process. <clears throat> and I see the coming out of the pit as a process. And the three dates are roughly this. When Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, that was the beginning of the binding of Satan. And a thousand years later, the Jews went into England in 1066 with William the Conqueror. Yeah. And England was one of the last free places that was free of, of, of Jewish control in Europe. People don't realize it, but there's another thousand year period in there which began, I believe, at the 9th century or the, or the beginning of the 10th century with Charlemagne. It was Charlemagne that admitted the Jews into Europe and made them chattel property. And they're the Jews that just a few generations later crossed into England with William the Conqueror in, in the Normandy, from Normandy. Same Jews. So Charlemagne started this idea of the Jews being chattel property, living in ghettos, being property to kings, and, and special subjects and under the control of the kings, apart from the, the people of his own natural domains. And that period ended in the French Revolution when they gained their emancipation. They're total emancipation. But in addition to those two thousand year periods, there's an in intermediate period. Because while 70 AD began the binding of Satan in the pit, it wasn't until the time of Theodosius I and Theodosius II when the Greek when the Roman the Greek Roman Empire, the Byzantine Empire actually fully embraced Christianity and rejected the Jews and basically isolated them from its society where, where they were second rate, where they didn't have all the rights that Christians have. And, and they, they didn't allow Jews to own Christian slaves. They didn't allow Jews to loan Christians money at usury. They did a lot of things right. And that period, I believe, ended with the Reformation. Because when the Reformation happened, the Jews were financing a lot of it, and they got, quote-unquote, religious rights in Europe, that the same rights that the Protestants got, the Jews got as well. And the Catholic Church had been repressing Jewish religious rights for, for a thousand years. So that we see a gradual... 
a gradual step, several gradual steps of Satan going into the pit and several gradual steps of Satan going out of the pit. And I actually see 3,000 year periods in there, but which is, it is pretty clear to me in history. Even though the revelation talks about a thousand year period, but that going to England was the first step in the creation of the later English empire, which would make the world safe for Jewry. That's what the English empire has done. The next reference will demonstrate how Satan becomes a proper name. There Clifton quotes from A Biblical Theology of the Old Testament by R.B. Zuck on page 424. And it states, Joshua's cleansing was opposed by Satan. Zechariah chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. The Hebrew word translated Satan, which means adversary, often refers elsewhere to human enemies. Well, we know that Satan is a human enemy. <laughs> However, when used with the article, as here in Job chapters 1 and 2, a particular angelic being hostile to God's servants is in view. His character, which is not fully developed in the Old Testament, comes into sharper focus in the New Testament, where his Old Testament title becomes a proper name. I believe it's a proper name which describes the entire entity, the collective descendants of the fallen angels and the serpent. It is important to identify just who the Satan of Zechariah 3.2 is. The first verse of this chapter starts out with a high priest by the name of Joshua, who was uh, dressed in dirty clothing. That simply tells us that he was in a state of mourning and was wearing sackcloth and ashes. Then it speaks of Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. To understand that one, we must go to Jude 9, which says, Yet Michael the archangel when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, Yahweh rebuked thee. This is not referring to Moses' natural body, 1,000 years in the grave, but to the body of law presented by Moses. But uh, then comes Satan forward as an accuser uh, standing at the right hand to resist him. Here the right hand symbolizes the priest authority, authority power. Well, well, right. Zechariah is using um, prophetic language, which is very allegorical. From here you go on to describe how, while the Judahites of Joshua's time, Joshua the high priest in the book of Zechariah, while the Judahites of his time were rebuilding the temple, their adversaries endeavored to stop the work. And, and you cite um, Nehemiah's, ne Nehemiah chapters 2, chapter 4, chapter 6, and, and chapter 13. And you cite some of these um, passages from these chapters. 
And since this is a wide um, harvest from the book of Nehemiah, from, from all four or five of these chapters, I'm just going to read the entire passage and I'll just indicate which chapter is being quoted from. When, and this is chapter two, when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, heard of the rebuilding of the temple, because Zechariah was a prophet at the same time as Zerubbabel. This is when the temple is first being rebuilt. Zechariah begins his prophecy just a couple of years before the rebuilding of the temple and ends it a couple of years after the rebuilding of the temple in, in 516 B.C. So Zechariah is right there, right at the beginning of the rebuilding of the temple at, after Cyrus allowed the Judahites to return to Jerusalem to rebuild it. When Sambalot the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian, the, the bastard, if they as well say, heard it. They laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? Meaning the king of Persia. And then in chapter four, but it came to pass that when Samblat heard that we built the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Judeans or Judahites, it should properly say. But it came to pass that when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were wroth. And then in chapter six, now it came to pass when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I, meaning Nehemiah, had built the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates that Sambalat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. Then Sambalat, his servant, said unto me, In like manner, in the, the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me. For Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. My God, think upon Tobiah and Sambalat, according to these their works, and on the prophetess Noadiah, for the rest of the prophets that would have me put in fear. And then in Nehemiah chapter 13. And one of the sons of Joiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sambalat the Horonite. Therefore, I chased him from me. So this is that Satan that's opposing Joshua the high priest. Right in the book of Zechariah. This is what's going on. To this you respond and you conclude the following. By the time Nehemiah, Sanballat, and the Horonite, and Tobiah the uh, servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem, Geshem the Arabian had all mixed their blood among the ten nations of Genesis 15, 19 through 21. See Ezra chapter 9. Thus they had absorbed the blood of the Kenites, who were the descendants of Cain, and Cain being the firstborn of Satan by the seduction of Eve, 
sand ballot and associates surely represented the uh, satanic bloodline. So now we know what particular angelic being, uh, what angelic being hostile to God's servants is in view, uh, referred to, to by R.B. Zuck. What's more, the bad fig Jews and Arabs of today are also related to Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the, uh, the servant of the Ammonite, and Gershom, and the Arabian. Another Old Testament character of the Satanic seed line was Doig, the Edomite, found at 1 Samuel 21.7, 22.9, 18.5, Twenty-two, and Psalm chapter fifty-two. This again can be traced back through Esau's Hittite wives to Genesis fifteen nineteen through twenty-one, and in turn back to Cain. Doig was the chief herdsman under King Saul. At the top of uh, Psalm fifty-two. An explanation is given of this psalm, and all nine verses need to be read. King Saul, not being of the kingly line of Judah, lacked the wisdom of leadership and uh, blundered many times, especially in the case of not killing Agag and all of the uh, Amalekite men women and children, and all their cattle as found at for Samuel chapter 16, also King Saul in one of his mad rages, commanded the priest of Israel to be slain, and Doig the uh, satanic Edomite was more than willing to do, do so, killing a total of 85. In one sense the flesh is part of the problem but being the satanic genetic flesh inherent among all the uh, Cain satanic seed line yeah you know in in Psalm chapter 52 David is actually informing us that Doeg the Edomite was spying on him and ratting him out to Saul probably trying to gain favor with the king to ingratiate himself. That's how. That's why he was so willing to kill the priest of Yahweh. When none of the Israelite men would kill the priest of Yahweh, Doeg the Edomite was more than willing to do it so that he would ingratiate himself with King Saul. He was basically jumping to kiss Saul's ass, which is what Jews do. Yeah. So that they could get themselves their foot in the door. And once they get their foot in the door, they're the ones sitting on the throne. And that's what Herod did to, to the Maccabees. This is not easy to see in, in the King James Version of the Bible because of some poor translations. And also because of some interpolations in the text. For instance, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we read the following where Paul is speaking of certain Judeans of his own time. And he says of those Judeans that they both killed the Lord Jesus 
and I'm quoting the King James Version, of course, they both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and had persecuted us. And they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. And the truth is that the words their own in that passage are an interpolation. Paul wasn't referring to Israelites. Paul was referring to those who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets. The words their own were added in medieval manuscripts. They don't belong there. And we do not find true Israelites killing the prophets in Scripture. In fact, Christ told his adversaries, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man which has told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This Abraham did not do. This is just one place where we learn that the devil did indeed have children. And many of them were in Judea. Apparently, they had jewelry stores and banks back there in those days, too. This concludes your series on the phony no-Satan dogma. However, you're working on a new paper which addresses this same theme. Do you want to say something about that? Well, um, I was trying to think what I'm titling it. Um, Satan and his children or something. I forget. Uh... Satan and his children. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, I've been working on it. Well, well, your work schedule is severely reduced since you've retired to Florida. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're spending way too much time on the beach with margaritas. <laughs> you have nothing to reply to that. <laughs> we'll get you. We'll, we'll we'll get you working on that paper. Yeah. And, and hope that you finish that soon. Then maybe we could sit and discuss that. How's that? Then maybe we could sit and discuss that one night this summer. Well, could be. Maybe, Maybe even before I get it done. I don't know. Before you get it done? <laughs> Thank you for being here. Yeah, okay. This concludes our presentation of the phony No Satan Dogma. Thank you for listening. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and good night.